I love gaining more sunlight in the afternoon. Let me say that up front. I can't stand losing an hour of sleep as we, what is it, spring forward? Is that, how many of you were affected from last night? Raise your hand. You have your coffee, your Red Bull, you ready to go? Okay, I got mine. All right, so we're ready to go this morning. So we thank you, those of you who usually attend um, the 8 o'clock, we welcome you to our 9.30 service uh, at this time. It's the beauty of having three services. Um, speaking of three services... Um, the Lord is doing some, all, some really cool things in the life of our church. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated our 20th anniversary. And to go back and to just see the hand of God upon this place, you know, we give praise uh, to the Lord. And, you know, I go back and I look at a church from the very beginning who, you know, stood upon God's word, preached uh, taught God's word and, and, you know, really the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, allowing that to be the center uh, of all that we do. Also, I believe there's a thread that's run from the beginning of this church. And it's a thread of flexibility, of adaptability to say, Lord, you know, we want to be the church that you've called us to be. And, and you know, uh, uh, in scripture, yeah, line up according to scripture. But beyond that, you know, we want freedom to, to do what you're leading us to do. And the Lord is continuing to do some cool things. And so we've been praying about and talking about and discussing, and we are getting ready to start a fourth service. Um, Sunday mornings, I tell you, it's, you know, to, to see people pull into a parking lot and then pull out of a parking lot. Uh, because they can't find a parking place. Or, and I've seen this before standing back here to see people walk in and to see the overwhelmness. You know, my thought is, do they know Christ? My thought is, how long did it take them to even pull into the parking lot? And if they were anything like me in my journey, you're always sometimes looking for a back door. You know what I'm saying? They're like, okay, Lord, I'm going to test the waters. But hey, if it doesn't work, if someone doesn't talk to me within the first 10 seconds, I'm out of there, right? Uh, and so we see that the Lord's continuing to grow us. And that's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so what we're looking to do is to add a fourth service, not on a Sunday, but on a Saturday. Wow, all right. It looks like we're doing it. We were doing it anyway, but Saturday. And so starting April 20th, it's Easter weekend. And so we're going to add a service that weekend starting April 20th, that Saturday night at 6 o'clock. We're going to start this Saturday night service, and then we're going to keep it rolling. And again, we're just going to see what the Lord does with this. It's really been the pattern from day one here that the Lord's leading us to take a step. We don't always know what the second step is, but the Lord's definitely confirmed he's leading us to take a step. And uh, he uses so many different things to, to do that. And, and so it's been very obvious as we have been praying and talking through this. And so beginning April 20th, we're going to start at 6 o'clock on that Saturday, and we'll keep our normal schedule on a Sunday morning, 8, 9, and 1115. And we're just praying for the Lord to, to take this and, and do with it what he desires to do. Obviously, it's going to require uh, even more from our body. And so, uh, you know, I ask you to be praying, maybe praying about if the Lord's leading you to be a part of that service, maybe even serving within that service. We're going to be doing children's program up into uh, kindergarten uh, on a Saturday night. And so there's going to be needs there for uh, children's ministry. There's obviously going to be needs for um, our, 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 our welcome our first team, our first impressions, our parking lot, all of that. And so I recognize that this really falls on our volunteers. And so we're just praying for God um, to continue to bring people, um, you know, to the surface of serving. And so be praying for us. Uh, and, and it's an exciting thing, though, in the life of our church. Amen. Does that scare anybody? 
Just me? All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. I was telling my father about it, and I was like, Dad, you know, and I was trying to get some sympathy. I should learn my lesson from my father, but I went to my dad, and I said, man, that means seven services Easter weekend. We've got two Good Friday, one Saturday night, and then four. If you remember, we're doing four on Sunday morning. We're doing one at seven, then at eight, nine, thirty, and eleven, fifteen. And he looked at me, and he said, Heath, are you looking for sympathy from me? I said, I should know better. Um, He said, are you complaining? And I said, no, I'm not complaining. He said, that's seven opportunities to to preach the gospel within your community. And I'm like, dad, you are the wrong person. I should be looking. What's mom doing? Can I talk to mom maybe? And uh, he said, he said, let me make two statements to you. He said, number one, he said, Charles Spurgeon, you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? I said, yeah, I've heard of Charles Spurgeon. He said, Charles Spurgeon would preach 12 to 15 times every Sunday. He said, now let me give you my follow-up statement. You ain't Charles Spurgeon. I was like, all right. I already knew that, but thank you so much. Take your Bibles, if you would. Just want to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And so we're just praying this out and praying that the Lord uh, would provide as we take these steps. Um, we believe that he is definitely leading. Luke chapter five, we're continuing our series as we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're kind of jumping around a little bit. This morning, we're going to actually move into verse 17. And so we're gonna skip a little bit of a passage there where we left off in verse 11. And we're going to go to verse 17. It's it's one of those passages of scripture I'm sure you've heard, you've read. It's one of those early stories that we learn uh, within the church, raising the roof. I did that when I was doing youth ministry. I said, we're gonna raise raised the roof for Jesus, and it went over about as well as it went over right there. I'm called in early 2000 lingo, so forgive me. And so this passage is the great story of these four friends that bring their paralyzed body to Jesus. And it's a remarkable story because what you find in this is the heart of the gospel, right? If you go back to last Sunday, we were looking at the first miracle recorded in the gospel of Luke. And we see this transition of Luke, right? For really the first five chapters, he's developed the person of Christ, the person of Christ. I mean, a Gentile physician, almost like an investigative reporter, he's building his case from chapter one all the way through that this is Jesus, over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament, this is him, Affirmed, you know, affirmed by the angels, affirmed by the shepherds, affirmed by the wise men, affirmed uh, by godly people. It talks about affirmed by John the Baptist, affirmed by uh, the Holy Spirit who descends upon him there at his baptism, affirmed by the Father as he cries out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Even affirmed by Satan himself as we see the temptation of Christ for 40 days in the wilderness. We now kind of transition, as we saw last Sunday, this now this transition to Luke now unpacking, okay, this Jesus is, yes, fully man, but he is God. He is God. And as we looked at that passage last week of the first 11 verses, the attributes of God, we see that in the first miracle recorded of Luke there at the Sea of Galilee, where he tells them, cast your nets into the sea. And there's this great harvest of fish. And he says what? And I'm now calling you to be fishers of men. And so you see the characteristics, the attributes of God himself in Christ, being fully man, but also fully God. Why did Jesus come? Let's ask this question. What is the greatest need in our world today? What is the greatest need in the life of a human being? Let's just think about that for a moment. In the world today, what is the greatest need? What is your greatest need? What is my greatest need? You you think about it, okay, if our greatest need had been physical healing, then, then all we would find in these stories and in these teachings is this Jesus healing people, but we know it went beyond just those miracles. There was something deeper than that. That he didn't just come to teach, he didn't just come to preach, he didn't just come to heal, he came to save. 
And so the greatest need for you, the greatest need for me, the greatest need for every human heart, the greatest need for every single person on the face of this earth is forgiveness before a holy God. Because the Bible is true that says that we serve a creator who is holy, who is righteous, who is perfect, who is sinless, then we as men and women, boys and girls, stand guilty before his throne. Because the Bible says what? For all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So your greatest need, my greatest need is one and the same. Forgiveness, justification before a holy God. And we see this in the life of Jesus, right? I mean, the whole reason he came, he said, I've come not to condemn, but to save. But where does it begin, right? It begins in a recognition, a recognition of sin. It begins in a recognition of a need of a savior. And we see this play out. That even the religious leaders looking there at Jesus, they were skeptical about who this man was. And they looked upon him and said, we don't need that. We're righteous. We hold the law. We keep the law. We're better than everyone else. But as we saw just a couple of weeks ago in that first time that he unrolls the scroll and he teaches from Isaiah 61, what does he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to give sight to the blind. I have come to those who are spiritually bankrupt and who recognize that they're spiritually bankrupt. They recognize their need for a savior. They recognize their brokenness as a sinful human being before a holy God. And he provides this parable. If you go to Luke 9, mark your spot here in Luke 5. Go to Luke 9 real quick and look at this parable that Jesus provides. And he talks about the difference between a heart that views themselves as self-righteous and a heart that is broken. This is really the first step in the gospel. Luke 9, beginning in verse 9, it says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And so right away in society, you have the one that society would say is the most religious, devout over here. And then you have a tax collector, the sinners of sinners, right? The ones who are known to kind of rob and to steal. And so here is Jesus painting this picture, a parable of two hearts that on the outside, one seems to be righteous and one seems to be sinful. But look at how it plays out. Two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Look at his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Have you ever thought, have you ever prayed that before? Maybe not out loud. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers are even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I give, uh, all that I get. I go to church. I do my, my, my uh, disciplines. I'm, I'm doing, I put money in the offering plate. But then verse 13, look at what it says. This is the heart that God saves and uses right here. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home what? Say this word with me. He went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so we know that in the message of the gospel, if we're going to be about the gospel, if that is the greatest value that we have, that in everything we do, we want to be about the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel simply means the good news. Well, what is the good news? You can't get to the good news until you know the bad news. The bad news that we are sinful human beings that stand at fault against God. But it sets you up for the good news, right? That Christ calls us, and the whole reason he came is to call us to a place of repentance, to call us to a place of faith, ultimately to call us to a place 
of forgiveness. Listen to these words. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion upon him. And to our God, look at what it says, for he will not just pardon, he will abundantly pardon. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. Colossians 1, 13 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. What does that mean? The forgiveness of sins. Psalm 110 or Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is to the west, listen to this promise. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Here's the question, why? Why would God choose to seek and to save that which is lost? Well, let's just go to the first verse we memorized, right? John 3, 16 says what? Say it with me, for God so, and just stop right there. For God so loved. As we talk about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, as we saw last week, and now we see with this story, which is truly the heart of the gospel, we see the motive. But God demonstrated his love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and stand with me in reverence for reading God's word. This is the gospel message right here. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, we find this great miracle. And we find Jesus dropping the mic on these Pharisees. I will say that out loud because I just see it happening all throughout this passage. And these friends raise the roof for Jesus. I'm going to stop doing that. Amber told me not to do it even once, but I just want to keep doing it right now. Luke 5, raise the roof for Jesus. Beginning in verse 17, the heart of the gospel. Look at what the Bible says. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee. Judea, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. Well, we know nothing of the backstory. We don't know if this man was born this way. We don't know if this was an accident. We don't know, but this is a man who was paralyzed, who four of his friends literally have to carry him to Jesus. And when they could not find a way that might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, don't miss that. When he saw their faith, how do you see faith? We can't see faith, only God can see faith. So once again, what is Luke doing? Affirming this is God, this is Jesus. He sees beyond just the exterior and he sees the heart. He sees faith in the heart of these men. And he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. In Matthew's account and also in Mark's account, you'll find the term uh, friend. You'll find the term son. Son, your, friends are, your, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, don't miss that again. Only God can do. He answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, not easier to do, but which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Verse 25, I love it. Immediately he rose up before them, took up his bed, with what he had been lying on, and departed to his house. Two words, understatement of this whole story, glorifying God. Can you imagine what this dude was doing? And then the Bible says this. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, I want you to see something before we pray. Mark your spot here in Luke 5 and go to Matthew. Go to Matthew 9. 
I want you to look at a verse that Matthew adds into this account real quick. Because there's three types of response here. There's a response of the Pharisees. There's a response of these men who have been saved by their faith. But then there's the response of the crowd. Now look at verse 8 of Matthew 9. Same story, but then Matthew adds this verse. Now when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God. But notice how they missed this. And they even said to themselves, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can gather, Lord, around your word this morning. And Lord, may you take us deeper. Lord, as we open the words of scripture, as we continue to go through the gospel, the good news, Lord, may we fall more deeper in love with our Savior who came and lived and died and rose again. Lord, who by his death and resurrection has justified us before your throne. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for by grace we are saved through faith, that it is not of ourselves, lest we can boast. Lord, there's nothing for us to boast about. It is your work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, you see beyond the exterior. Even in the room this morning, Lord, you see our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read this story, as we study this story, as we find ourselves in this story, may we be like the man who leaves praising, not just because he had been healed physically, but whose soul had been healed, whose sins had been forgiven. And Lord, may it move beyond just captivating us. May it change us to make us more like you each day, to consistently let go of our own desires and will, and Lord, to submit to yours. Lord, may we see people the way you see people. Lord, as we see the faith of these friends, Lord, may we see those that you've placed in our lives, our family, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors. May we ask ourselves that question, what are we willing to do to bring them to Christ? Lord, change us today. And Lord, may you be glorified in it. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. And so again, a remarkable story, a story I'm sure you've seen, that you've heard. I mean, Luke is continuing to build his case. He talks about the testimony of Zacharias, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, Anna, Simeon, John the Baptist, all the way through. We've seen now the transition of not just the person of Christ, but the power of Christ. We've seen his power over disease, his power over demons, his power even over creation, as we saw last week in that first recorded miracle. We've seen his power in the natural realm. We've seen his power in the angelic realm. But here, what do we find? We find something different. We see the power of Christ in the moral realm. His power to justify the guilty. His power to deliver a person from a position of guilt to a position of innocence. Basically, a summary of why he came. His power to totally change a person's standing before God. The greatest miracle that can happen in the life of an individual, that their standing, their position before God can be changed. That, they, that, that, that through the power and the saving grace of Jesus, he can take us from a road that's leading to an eternal hell and place us on a road that is leading to an eternal heaven. It's the greatest miracle in the life and the heart of a person. To move that person from being under the judgment of God to now being under the blessings of God. Power to transfer a soul from the kingdom of darkness, as Paul says, transfer us to the kingdom of God. 
And the bottom line is what? We have to come to a place to ask ourselves, okay, what do we do with Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? Because there is no in-between. As the scriptures are revealing him as the son of God, fully God, fully man, there is no in-between. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a blasphemer of all blasphemers. I mean, crying out that he's God. I mean, crying, you know, there's some people that want to take a middle stance in this and they say, well, okay, Jesus, we say he's a historical figure. You can't deny that even beyond the Bible. Secular writings confirm that this Jesus lived, that he rose again, even beyond the Bible. We have that confirmation. But there are some who say, no, he wasn't a savior. He wasn't fully God. He was a prophet. He was a great teacher. Well, what do we do with these passages? What do we do with these passages when he says, listen, if you want to see God, look at me. If you want to hear God, listen to my words. And so either Jesus is who he says he is or he's a crazy person. And so he's standing here in this room and the religious leaders, the skeptics, are questioning who he is. Look at what it says here in verse 17. I love it. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law. Pharisees and lawyers are sitting in the room. It had come out from every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Many believe that there was about probably 6,000 Pharisees during the time of Jesus. That these weren't a priestly lineage. These were laymen. These were non-priests, but they were devoted to the law to uphold the law. And even within that group, the Bible says there's the teachers of the law, the scribes. This is basically the upper echelon Pharisees, the legal experts. These were the ones who, when you brought a matter to them, they would say, okay, let's look at your situation. Let's look at these circumstances and let's kind of make a call according to the law. They were the interpreters of the law. So they're in the room at this time. It's been about a year into Jesus's ministry here. So word is spreading. Luke tells us that. Mark tells us that. Matthew tells us that, that he's healing, he's healing, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's casting out demons. And they've come to say, okay, we want to see who this guy is. And look at how it plays out. Verse 18 and 19. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. You want to see the faith of these men. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. You know, they're tearing the roof off to get their buddy to Jesus. That's a bold move. I mean, you think about it, who's in the room, right? I mean, you're talking about Pharisees. You're talking about scribes in a room the size tile that, that, that indicates that this was a large gathering. And here these men go right to the rooftop and they begin to peel back the roof simply because they are going to do everything they have to do to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus. It's a bold move that here's Jesus teaching, here's Jesus preaching. And now all of a sudden stuff starts falling from the roof. And now all of a sudden there's a dude being lowered from his pallet, from his bed, right to the feet of Jesus. Look at the response of Christ, verse 20. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. The word forgiven is in the perfect tense. In the original language, what does it mean? It means a past action that has continued results. And so what he is saying, he is saying, I declare you justified. I declare you forgiven. And the ramifications of this will continue, not just today, but tomorrow, next week. I am thankful to know that through the power of Jesus Christ, not only does he save us, he secures us, he seals us. By the blood of Jesus, I am saved today. By the blood of Jesus, I am saved tomorrow. Can I get an amen? Amen. If my salvation rests upon me, I am in trouble. My salvation rests upon Christ. And so unless that changes, I am secure 
before the throne of God. He says, your faith, because of your faith, I see your faith, your sins are forgiven. There's no conversation. The Bible doesn't say that this man says I'm a sinner. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible says that when the man comes down from the roof, Jesus looks past the exterior and sees the heart. Now, again, as you read this, I think some people could say, okay, well, is he ushering everyone in because of the faith of this one man? Absolutely not. We all have a personal responsibility. None of us enter into the kingdom of God because of someone else's faith. We don't come into the kingdom of God because our mom's faith, our dad's faith, our our grandma's faith. We will all individually stand before the throne of God and give an account upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you read this passage, nowhere in scripture do you find where unless someone is repentant and, and professes faith, are they saved? And so as you look at these five individuals, I believe Jesus sees to the heart of all five of them. And he sees their faith. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened if he had just healed him physically? I mean, it would have been a great miracle, right? I mean, what a great miracle. What a tragedy for him to be healed physically and not be healed spiritually. Jesus didn't just come to, to heal people physically. He came to save. He came to justify He came to forgive. Notice the response of the Pharisees and the scribes, Luke 5, 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's actually really good theology, right? I mean, we would all agree with that. Do we all agree that only God can forgive sin? If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And so we know that, again, the enemy is a perverter of truth. And so he'll take bits and pieces of truth, but then he perverts it. He has no original material. And so here are these guys, good intentions, I believe, that started out with good intentions, uphold the law, glorify God, seek him first and foremost, and he only. But here they are going, whoa, 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 you're claiming to forgive this man's sins. Only God can forgive sins. Luke says that they begin to reason in their minds, not out loud. We don't have any indication here that this is a back and forth conversation. But they begin to reason in their minds. They determine that what he did was not by the power of God. But you'll see this further on in the Gospels. They declare that he's operating in the power of Satan. That's why they say a little bit further on in Luke that you're casting out demons in the power of Beelzebub. These guys are reasoning in their minds that, okay, he's not who he is. There's something that's going on here. And they claim blasphemy. And listen, you want to talk about, again, one of the worst crimes you could commit was blasphemy. Number one, speaking against the law of God. Number two, to speak against God himself. But the worst of the worst was to put something in his place. And for this person, this Jesus, to declare that he was God, and because he is God, he has the right to forgive sin. Look at what happens, Luke 5, 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he dropped the mic, and he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? The word perceived there means a deep knowledge of understanding. Jesus saw directly to their skepticism. He saw directly to a heart that says, nope, I don't accept who this guy's claiming to be. And I think about even the prophecy of Simeon. If you go back to the birth prophecy of Jesus, Luke 2, 34, if you remember what Simeon said to Mary, he said this in verse 34, then Simeon blessed and said, Mary, and said, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which we've spoken against. But listen to what he says. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts might be perceived. Well, that's what's happening here. He says it in verse 22, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Why are you having those kind of thoughts? Why are you questioning my authority to forgive sin? So he confronts them with a question, verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, only God can do either one of them. But which is easier to say? 
Well, of course, the easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven. How can that be proven, right? That's what they're saying. Okay, you, you, anyone can claim, okay, your faith now declares that you are forgiven, but no one can see beyond the exterior and the heart of a person. So Jesus says, okay, let's, let's go a little bit beyond that. And look at what he says here. Verse 24, but you, that you may know that the Son of Man, you'll find that title over 80 times in the gospel where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It really goes back to Daniel. Some of you have done some, some Old Testament Daniel studies and you'll recognize that from Daniel 7. You'll recognize that from uh, Daniel 8. And, and it's really the pre-incarnate prophecy of the Messiah who would come and who was standing there before the throne of God as the Son of Man to take his kingdom. He says, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, three things arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Verse 525, Luke 525, immediately. Do you see that? Anytime Jesus healed, you're going to find this in all the miracles of the gospel. It's never a, a prolonged healing. It's immediate. He doesn't say, okay, you're going to have to go to the rehab center for two weeks. And then after the rehab center, you're going to go home and there'll be a nurse that will come to your house and help build your muscles. That's not what happens here. That the God of creation created something new in that moment. We don't know his past, but we know that not only does he declare his sins forgiven, he declares him physically healed. The Bible says in verse 26, they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, reverent fear. We have seen strange things today, but again, as we read in Matthew, there's that verse in verse eight that says the people said that they were stunned that God had given such authority to men. What does that tell us? That there were some still in the room who missed it. Now they weren't in the category of the Pharisees. They weren't in the category of the scribes who were skeptics and questioning everything and and had evil intent in their hearts and in their minds. So they didn't fall into that category, but they fell into the category of, oh, wow, that was powerful, but he's not still who he says he is. Still the power of man. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, where are we at in this story? Man, if we have truly been healed, I'm not just talking physically here. If we have truly spiritually been healed, then how could we not, like this guy, leave, depart, not just from church, but when we leave our homes and when we go to work, I mean, literally praising God because, hey, I have been healed. I stand clean before the throne of God. Today may be the day. Today may be the day that Christ returns or that he calls me home. And if he does, I will stand before a holy God covered by the blood of Jesus. A day may change. Circumstances may change. That will not, cannot change. So, Lord, fix my mind upon that. And not only do you fix my mind upon that, but, Lord, give me your eyes to see others. You know, we're always so quick to to, to meet each other's needs, and that's an awesome thing. Let's not forget the greatest need in our community, in our nation, in our world, and the calling that God has placed upon this church. Upon our lives as believers, to be the church, but to do whatever it takes to bring someone before Jesus, to put them in the best position to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, I read this story, and as I've shared with you over the weeks, man, it, it, it's convicting to me. Because I think even as the church, so many times, man, we, you know, we can, we can get off track if we're not intentional about the main reason that God's called us here. It's for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope for a soul, for a heart 
that stands before the throne guilty. It's the only hope. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the whole story of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. You find this message that the good news, the good news comes after the bad news. An acknowledgement of sin, a recognition of sin, a turning from sin, a heart of faith that cries out to this Jesus, this one who came and lived and died and rose again. And then the Bible says what? That in that, he is faithful to forgive. And he's faithful to use. There are people in your life and in your world that God has specifically placed you there to be a light. Man, if you're anything like me, you can miss that. I can miss that getting caught up in life and getting caught up in, 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 our, in our schedule and all these things and miss the eternity, the eternal things. I'm going to ask you if you are right where you are just to stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to have our pastors up here, our spiritual response team. First and foremost, man, if you've never personally responded to this Jesus, that's the first step in all of this. But then beyond that, walking with him, growing in him, spending time with him in his word and his presence. And in that, you begin to see the way he sees, to hear the way he hears, and to see people in light of eternity, not just in the here and now. He's given us the hope for the greatest problem that we have. Ask you if you would just join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, again, just in awe of what you've already done. Lord, that you would choose to step out of heaven to come into this world that you created as a servant, not to condemn, but to save. Lord, may we never get over that. May we not move past that. Lord, for those who have been saved, for those who have called upon the name of Jesus, Lord, may our lives be a testimony of praise. May our lives be a testimony of worship. Lord, regardless of what's going on in us, Lord, may we be quick to provide the hope that lies within us to others. Give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Because, Lord, you've given us your message. May we be faithful in that. Right now, I just ask you, Think of someone in your life that doesn't know Christ right now. And I'm just going to ask you right where you are, just you and the Lord, to by name lift that individual up and to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I am willing to do whatever it takes to show Jesus in me. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. It's in that name that we pray and all of God's people said it.